0: love Jesus this morning (laughs) excited to be in church today again so good to be here with you my name is Dave DeFrancesca and my wife Tara and I have the amazing privilege of pastoring this church and we love being with each one of you every time we small group every time we do a weekend service every time we have a dream team party like we had last Sunday night we love being with each one of you and getting life getting to do life together and it is an honor to do so so happy you're here if you're visiting today it's your first time you're checking us out uh, on your seat you'll see an orange card that is our connect card we simply would love to have the opportunity to connect to you so just fill it out on the back as much as you want check any boxes you like and then we will have somebody reach out and give you the information uh, requested and if you'll drop it in the lobby at the next steps table on your way out this morning we'll exchange it we have a gift for you and so we'd love to have the opportunity to connect with you we are near the end of a series we began a long time ago <laughs> We normally take a thought or a topic and use about three to four weeks to expand on that thought. We call it a series, message series. Instead of maybe you grew up in church and you would hear the pastor preach one each Sunday, it would be a different thought, it would be a different message, a different topic, and you weren't sure where you are going to be, we kind of use a series now. And so we began a series way back in August, the end of August, and it's still going, but we're at the end of it now. But we've been unpacking the miracles of Jesus, and it's been exciting. It's the longest series we've ever done, and as we go through this series, we've looked at miracles that Jesus did 2,000 years ago, and how they apply to our lives today, and how we can use those things to encourage us in our life today as we live. And so it's been great. If you want to go back and listen to more or be encouraged, you can do it on YouTube or our website. You can watch those messages there. But today, I want to draw your attention to a story that happened in the beginning of Jesus' ministry time on earth. So he lived about 30 years, and then he did this miracle, and as we unpack it, it was early on. And so we didn't go in a chronological order or through our miracles. We just kind of pulled different ones, and we've supported them by video with a visual illustration from the TV series, The Chosen. So if you're a big fan of The Chosen, my favorite series on TV, you'll, uh, you'll appreciate it because it's It's just fun. It's helpful to visualize something as well as hear it audibly from the scripture as well. We can't do this all the time, but in this series, we were able to tie those two together. So after I read you the story, we're going to dive into that as well. Let me shout out a couple people before I do. Uh, Cash Wagner and my son Frankie DeFrancesca, they had the amazing opportunity because they got some great youth leaders around here who set them up. We had Fields of Faith last Wednesday night. And there was over 1,000 people in attendance at the football stadium to hear the gospel. And a bunch of churches got together. And these two young men got up in front of over 1,000 people and spoke about Jesus and the Scripture. It was just blew everybody's mind. They did an amazing <laughs> job. Come on. Can we celebrate them this morning? I told Frankie, I said, when you get up there and you see the people, don't. Just keep on going. <laughs> Uh, this morning, let's pull out of Luke chapter 5. Luke was a doctor and uh, by vocation, and this is his uh, recording of the story, Luke 5 verse 1. One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Genesaret, which is also the Sea of Galilee in the northern part of Israel, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen. They were washing their nets. You remember we kind of landed on that scripture last week in a different context. We're going to build out a different thought in this whole passage this morning. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon. Now, Simon would later be called Peter. Jesus would change his name, but currently Simon really doesn't know Jesus. It's one of his initial uh, experiences with him. His name is still Simon. So Jesus says to Simon, you got that boat, can I get in it? And I want to push out a little bit from the shore. Jesus wanted to use the boat as a place to speak from and teach and let the water amplify the sound of his voice. He wanted to put the sound waves on the water and let them run in because the crowd was too deep to stand on the shore and be able to speak to everyone. So he sat down in the boat and taught the people. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we have worked hard all night long and haven't caught anything. Man, can anybody relate to that verse right there? We worked hard all night. I've been using dating apps, ain't found nobody yet. I've been applying for jobs, haven't landed one yet. I've been working overtime, still can't make it work yet. I've been trying my best to make the marriage work, seems like it's falling apart. I've been trying to raise these kids, The way you're telling me, pastor, it doesn't seem to be working yet. I've been working hard all night long. You can read over a scripture sometimes and miss the truth in it, and that you can relate to that in many different ways. Simon's like, I am tired of doing this, Jesus, but, watch what he says, but because you say so, there is power in those words right there, because Jesus said so, I will let down the nets. And somehow Simon knew, even when it doesn't make sense, I will obey. Verse 6, when they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled to the partners in the other boats to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. And Simon Peter saw this. He fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also fishermen, Simon's partners. And Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and they followed him. Check out this video. Put that down for a catch. A little farther out. Uh, I don't have a quarrel with you, teacher. We've been doing this all night, nothing. A brother and a baptizer. <laughs> you are the Lamb of God, yes? I am. Depart from me. I am a sinful man. You don't know who I am and the things i have done. Don't be afraid, Simon. I'm sorry. We, we've waited for you for so long, we believe, but by faith, I'm sorry your head, fisherman. (laughs) What do you want for? Anything you ask I will do. As well. Yes, you, James and John, come, follow me. I'll take the fish into market and settle up Simon's debt. I'll get some help to fill both of these boats. Are you sure? Yes, go. What will you tell Emma? <laughs> We've just been called by the man we prayed for our entire lives, and you ask me what will I say when you miss supper? <laughs> go, now. I hope as you it. watch these little clips we show each week in the series, it causes you to go back and watch the whole series itself. I think it will draw you closer to God. I really, this morning, want to unpack this miracle of provision, the miracle of provision, because I believe each one of us have a lack in some place in our lives. It could be financial. It could be spiritually. It could be in our health. It could be in our relationships, in our emotions. It could be in our mental state. We all have lack somewhere in our lives, and I want you to know this morning that God is our source. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you this morning for being here with each one of us. We thank you for the first service and all that you did. We thank you for each person watching online, those in this room, for our children in the back. This morning, I ask you, God, speak to us in our heart, our mind, our ears. Maybe we'd be opened up to hear from you and see you changing our lives from the inside out. In Jesus' name, Everybody said, How many of y'all have realized that Christmas is almost here? I know, I know. Some of y'all are like, do not, Pastor, begin talking about Christmas just yet. We're not even at Halloween. We're certainly not at Thanksgiving. But I was in Costco and they've got it all out. And they've had it out. Trees and lights and toys and gifts. And I actually have begun buying. Don't tell my wife. But Uh, We are really Christmas people that begin to, like, celebrate as soon as the season is on. Like, November 1, we'll probably decorate the house and begin to all over the place. Like, it just happens that way. We're big into it. So the other day, I recently got in the mail, and, like, it was crazy because I didn't even think they made these things anymore. I got a toy catalog from Amazon in the mail. Did anybody else receive one? So I took that thing because I remembered my childhood... And my mom would sit me down with J.C. JCPenney or Macy's or Sears. Then they'd say, hey, circle the things you want Santa to bring you this year. Just put a circle around it. And so I thought, man, this would be fun. So yesterday morning, I set Luca and Dax down. Luca's 10 and Dax is 5. Set them down. I gave them each a color. And I gave all. And I added Frankie in there, too, if he wants to participate. See what Santa brings you. He's 17. And I said, "Here's what you do: circle it, whatever you want, for Christmas." So Luca is circling. He's a processor. He's logical. And he's Dax is just antsy. He's got the marker, getting it everywhere. And Dax gets a hold of the magazine, and it just is on. Everything's getting circled. Every toy, pink, blue, yellow, green, it doesn't matter. Everything is there. Dinosaurs get like 10 circles on them and everything else is, and he's just circling everything. The whole magazine is screwed up. Nobody else can even participate in this game because he has circled everything. Like he's just drawing the biggest circles. And, and I looked up and said, now listen, you got to understand. This is what you hope you get for Christmas. It's not a guarantee of what happens on Christmas morning. Because at this point, he has circled everything in the book multiple times over, all the way through the magazine. Why? Because he has no lack of imagination of what could happen to him on Christmas morning. Some of y'all remember that as a child. You'd be like, the same way, you just circle them all. Like, if I get this, I'm going to play with it like this. And if I get this, I'm going to do this. If I get this, I get this. And we didn't stop circling. When did we stop circling as adults? When did we stop believing? I'll tell you when. When you started experiencing lack, gaps. When you started realizing logic kicked in and, well, that's going to cost that much money, so I'm going to stop believing for that. It would take a lot to get that, so I'm going to stop believing. If I have only this much to believe for, I'd rather use it here than there. Sometimes this is how we approach life. You know what, God? I saw you do that for them, and I don't know if you can do it for me, but maybe you can at least do this much for me. Or I need this, and I need this, and I need this, so I'm going to pray about this because it's more important, and I'm going to leave these two over here to see if maybe you get to them later. Because lack causes us to want to prioritize or lose faith that God can meet every need we have. The Bible says he shall meet all of our needs according to his riches and glory. But at some point we begin to not believe that any longer. We begin to act like that the lack is now what leads our lives. Now listen to me, I'm not against lack. Like lack is probably gonna be in your life in some area. I've experienced lack in my life many times over. Financial lack, relational lack. I didn't meet Tara until I was 28. I was lacking. 28 years old, I want my whole 20s single, like relational. But I I, I understood that God is my provision, and I didn't need to go around and try to fill the gap and waste my time with, I knew what I was looking for, had a really good idea because I'd been in a communication conversation with God about my wife, and so I didn't have to go around and abuse other people's emotions to satisfy my own needs. Because I have a lack, so what am I going to do? I'm going to leverage what I have to help me, but I'm going to use it and abuse somebody else, confuse them, damage them. No, because lack is going to come, but I've had financial lack, and even after I got married, we still I still had lack and need and gaps in my life. That's there so that God can remind you and be present that he is your provision. The lack is not a sign of anything other than simply God going, I want to fill that. Will you believe me to do that? I am the source of all that you need. We think sometimes God is the source of our spiritual lack because of our sins. This morning, let me remind you or teach you, he's the spiritual source. He's the physical source. He's the emotional source. He's the mental source. He's everything that you need and lack in your life. He can provide in all those areas. Well, how can God meet my emotional needs or my relational needs? And, and I got these other needs. And I, He can. And he said so. He said, I will meet all of your needs according to... God does it crazy. God doesn't meet your needs according to what you have. Because if you will had it, you wouldn't need him to do it. So he doesn't say, I will meet all your needs according to your bank account, according to your riches. He says, I'm banking on myself, so I'll meet your needs according to how much I have. And this is important. This is important as we process through here because oftentimes in our lives, we will go through seasons or moments of lack. And when we do, we in this world have two responses. There's two ways we respond to lack. Number one is simply this. I'm going to give you a lot of good stuff this morning, I think. Like, I really think there's this is going to be a lot of practical teaching. And as we do, take some notes. If you walk out this morning, you're like, Pastor, you didn't give me anything worth writing down. I'm going to delete that whole note I took. I'm sorry ahead of time. But I think there's really going to be some good content you can put down to paper and look back on Because what we do is we oftentimes get two areas of our lives. I mean, in our area of lack, we have two responses. One, I'm going to work my way out of it. I just need to work harder. I just need to work more. I just need to work harder at what I'm doing because I have lack. So I'm going to throw myself into it and do even more and go harder. The problem is we get exhausted. We get burnt out. We get tired. And we give everything at work because we have a financial lack so we dump all of ourselves in here, and we get home. Suddenly, you got a relational lack because you don't have time for your spouse, and your kids don't know who their parent is, and you're exhausted. You're tired, and so one lack created another lack, even though you're trying to fill that lack. So I'm going to work harder, but you get tired. You want to just quit, burnt out. And the second thing we do is we if we don't work it out. We walk away from it. When there's a lack, we just walk away from it. I'm tired. Quit. I'm done. I'm out. Walk away from a job, I'm out, give up. We develop a victim mentality. Uh, we say things, we say things like, I never can catch a break. Ah, uh, you know, they always have it work out for them, but never for me. We just walk away from it. Because we look to ourselves, look to a person, look to a concept, look to an idea, look to an effort, look to a hustle. Try to feel the lack we have in our lives, in every area of our lives. Instead of understanding Jesus isn't just our Savior, he's our source. He's not just our Savior, he is our provision. He is our provider, he is our source. He's my source of strength, he's my source of income, he's my source of all that I have. When I'm looking for something, when I'm lacking something, do I turn to him first? God will meet all of our needs. Is that, Pastor, now, now let me let me throw this word out for you. I'm going to throw a word out, and if you've been around church, if you are not churched, this word probably won't make you cringe. If you've been in church, this word is probably going to make you cringe. Ready? Let me throw this word out for you. Because we've taken this word and created whole gospels and ideas and concepts and We've abused it and misused it. There's nothing wrong with the word. The method by which we preach it or teach it or live it can be off sometimes. The word is simply this, prosperity. Let me all oh, like, just shook a little bit. Because we've heard about a prosperity gospel. We've heard a prosperity message. And if you just give more, you'll get more. And you've got to believe for more. And if you don't have enough, it's because you're not believing enough. And different concepts and different ways of thinking. I do believe in prosperity. The Bible says, God says, I wish your soul would prosper. I think God wants everything we do to prosper. Blessed is the man who believes in God. Psalm 1, and he shall be planted by the rivers of water, and everything he does will prosper. God's promise over our lives is that we will prosper. The problem is, is, what do we define prosperity as? Let me give you my definition. My definition is simply this. Good stewardship... Plus, God's provision equals godly prosperity. If I manage well what God supplies, I'll have more and have godly prosperity in my life. Now, our minds are all on money, and this applies to that, but not just that. If I manage whatever it is God has brought into my life well, if I steward it well, and remember that He provided it, he will trust me with more. And that is backed up in Matthew 25 when Jesus said, hey, some guys got five bags of gold, some got three bags of gold, and one got one bag of gold. And each was given, What's the key there? Why did he give some five, some three, and some? Well, that's not fair. That's not fair that one person got five bags and one person got three bags and one person got one bag. That's just not fair. Welcome to the kingdom of God and welcome to life. It's not about being fair." Jesus said they were given what they had. They were provided what they had according to their abilities. Ooh, what you were able to do and what they were doing with what they received. Prosperity is a byproduct of effective management of whatever it is that God supplied in your life. So I had two points this morning to give you, and each point has a key I got 3 cuz I got one coming in hot this morning on my way in here. I don't know if I'm going to get to it or not. I didn't get to it in the first service. We'll see where we land in the second one. Number 1 to see God's provision in your life. And this is a it's an old saying. You've, you may have heard this before. God where God guides, God provides. Wherever God leads you, he'll make provision for you in that place. Where God guides, he provides. 2 Corinthians 9 Paul wrote this, each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Not under compulsion, not under obligation, not because you have to, but because you choose to. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Man, that's the life I want to live. All times, all things, all that I need so I can abound in everything I do. There's a promise of God's provision in health, wisdom. Man, I need grace and forgiveness. I can abound in that. That he will provide all that I need at all times. This is why as a church and as people, we can't live stingy, greedy lives. We must live generous lives because we recognize what I have I have received from God, and so I can freely be a channel and give it away. I'm not afraid of letting go of what I have. I know God will trust me with more when I steward and manage well. But if I'm frivolous and irresponsible and let it go, I cannot believe for more because God takes good care of his stuff, real good care. And he wants people that he can trust that are taking care of his stuff as well. The problem is, oftentimes, we forget it's God's and think it's ours. Ooh. Let me give you a key to help you with this. Check your motives. Check your motives. Luke 5, that chapter we read, that verse we read, when Jesus finished speaking, He said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Jesus told him what to do because he understood Simon had a need and he wanted to prove to Simon, I'm your source, I'm your provision, watch me meet what your need is. Last week I told a story about when we were in India, I was on a trip, a mission trip to India. We did some work there. But I didn't tell you how I got there. And I got there because at the end of my time in Bible college, towards before I graduated, there was a trip going out from the school to India, and they opened up the invitation, so I signed up for it. I felt like God wanted me to go. I signed up for this trip. I just didn't have the money. And it was like four grand. You ever sign up for something you don't have the money to pay for? That car you're driving? I mean, that trip you <laughs> and, and I went, and I signed up for it, and I was like, okay, well, But I just did it by faith. No, I wasn't under obligation. I didn't sign my life away, but I just believed that God wanted me to go on this trip, and he was going to do something to help me get there. Now, I was trying to manage well what I had, and my school called, and I used to take these teams out sometimes on recruiting trips, and the person who was supposed to take one out couldn't go, and so they asked me, could you replace him and go on this trip to Columbus, Ohio? So, I'd go up to Columbus, and we would take teams out to conferences and conventions, and where juniors and seniors from high school would be, and try to get them to come and visit our college and enroll There's recruiting trips. So I go to Columbus, Ohio. We get dumped on with snow, driving 15 passenger vans and getting snowed in. And when we'd stay at these things, they would put us in host homes. Now, thank God for hotels. Because if you've ever stayed in a host home, you eat what they give you, you sleep where they tell you to sleep, And you just, it's weird. Thank God they're hospitable. I got a hospitable host. You never know what you're going to get. And I was, never met this guy. And a couple of those guys were staying there with him. And he was asking us about what we were doing. And he said, well, what are you going to do after you graduate? And I said, well, I signed up to go to India. He said, you signed up, you're going. I said, well, I'm believing I'm going. And he said, well, what's, what's keeping you from, I said, I just don't have the money yet. He said, well, how much is that? I said, it's four grand. And he was really just impressed, I guess, by the Holy Spirit, and he said, "Listen, I got a deal in the works that I'm believing God's going to help go through. If it does, I'm going to pay from that deal all of your to uh, all the trip costs to go." And I was like, "Does oh, this this the deal go through in Jesus' name? You know, like I'm praying, put whatever I got to put on it for prayer." Sure enough, a couple months later this guy sends a check to the school and pays for my whole trip. Why? Because where God leads you, he provides. And I went on this trip for almost a month to India and did ministry there and he provided. you got to step out in faith and understand who can fill the lack, who can source out the space in between. Oftentimes though, our motives aren't right. Our heart isn't right. And we get stuck in a place where we're not like, why do you want a bigger house? Why do you want what you want? That's a tough question. Pastor, why are you getting in my business this morning? Why do you want nicer shoes? Why do you want a bigger car, faster car? Like, why do you want what you want? Would you dare go into your heart and ask yourself that, or will you just keep living at a pace that says, I want it, so I'm going to live for it and get it and acquire it, without stopping to ask this question? This is a big word right here. Desire. Desire. Why do you want it? Desire. It'll make me popular. People see how hard I work. I'll show myself to my family. I'll prove myself. People will applaud me, pat me on the back, affirm me. Just because. Because I've, I've always... Whatever your reason is, whatever your desire is, Come. become honest with it. Come clean with it. Why do you want what you want? Because I think oftentimes... Where God leads, he provides, but I may not be trying to go there for the right reasons. So I've got to get my heart right. i got to get my desires right. I think a lot of times we do this in a certain area. Anybody here ever just have the need? Maybe you're just married to this person. Maybe I'll put it that way. Are you married to somebody that always wants to be right? Don't raise your hand. Do not. Let me tell you, marriage tip number one. Don't raise your hand. Just answer in your heart to God i'm married to that person or maybe you're that person you just always have to be right what is it about us what is the desire that causes you to go i have to be right at the expense of arguments frustration losing friendships losing jobs making points and losing people why do you always have to be right What is the desire that fuels inside of you that you have to be right about everything, about anything? I think we have to pull back and look at it. Like on social media, you always got to make a comment, always have something to say. I'm all about defending our faith and apologetics. I'm all for it. But the Bible tells me, Jesus said, you are the light of the world. He didn't say, you are right all the time. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So don't get it wrong. It's not what he said. He said, you're the light of the world. So I interpret that and go, I can choose to be light or I can choose to be right. And they seem like extremes, but I think they're pretty accurate. Because what is my goal? What is my desire in having a conversation with anybody, my spouse or a stranger? Am I desiring to be light to them or am I desiring to show them that I'm always right? I had a therapist looked me in the eye one time and he said dave with your personality you can choose to be right or to be kind it's going to be hard for you to choose both make your choice and i was like i don't know i said well the bible says the fruit of the spirit is kindness not rightness So I'll choose to be kind, and that direction has helped steer my life for many years now. Maybe helpful for somebody here this morning. It's hard to be kind and right at the same time. You're in an argument. You don't want to back down. That person wrongs you. You're offended. You need to let them know how hurt you are. Do you? Or is your desire and intent to return the same pain you feel right now? Or can you just go, you know what? I'm going to be light. Jesus was offended. He didn't fight back. He laid his life down, as Pastor Brandon alluded to. And I will be kind. See, desire is so much a part of our lives, and our motives are so much a part of what that lack is. And so we have this lack, and we want to fill it. But you have to ask yourself, why do I want to fill it? Jesus filled the lack in Simon's life with a catch because he wanted him to see you can fish for fish or you can fish for people. Think in my life, God, I just want you to use me to impact and touch people's lives. You can share an offensive message without being an offensive person. People are like, well, the gospel's offensive. The gospel's not offensive. We live in a weird world. We just do. We live in a world that wants to divide us and fight over us and cause us to say certain things and get out there and feel like we have to be right about everything. I just believe that God wants us to be kind in all we do. We can be accurate. We can be truthful. But we can be light to people. Number two, write this down. Keep seed in the ground. Now, seed is what God gives us as our source for more. We get that. The seed is what we have that sources us for tomorrow. It feeds our today and our tomorrow. The problem is a lot of times we just consume all the seed and we don't replant it. We don't put seed back in the ground from what we received. You understand this? Inside every apple is the skin, the meat, and the seed. Eat the skin, eat the meat, get, fl- get, get fed, but put the seed in the ground. Too many times we consume everything for ourselves and don't take anything out of what we've received and use it for tomorrow as well. So Paul writes this, continues writing in 2 Corinthians, he says, So he who supplies seed to the sower, that's God, and bread for food will also supply, increase, store your need, increase your store of seed, and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way, so you can be generous on every occasion, and through your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. The service that you perform is not supplying the needs of the Lord's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to him, understanding that he is our source, that he put the seed in my hand. In this moment, Simon had to decide who was the source of his provision. So he said, Master, because you said so, I'll let down my nets. Sometimes that's how we approach life. It doesn't make sense, but God, you said I'll do it, I'll do it understanding that I don't want to get caught looking to somebody or somewhere else to source out what I need. And God has designed it so that our gift will bring us provision and open doors in our lives. What does that mean? Too many times, let's get real practical, too many times we look at our job and we despise it. Our J-O-B, our vocation, the career path you chose, the place you're going into Monday morning. That thing you have, and we resent it and we despise it. And yet God has set it up so that your job is what He will use to provide and source of your life, but we despise it. Why do you think? Why do you think Jesus looked at Peter and said, hey, throw out the nets? Because Peter was a fisherman. Peter knew how to do what Jesus told him to do. So I think. Real simple application. You're a chiropractor. Jesus is saying, hey, keep making adjustments on people. You're a cashier. You keep bringing people up. You're a clerk. Whatever you're doing, whatever your job, keep doing it. You know what great provision and supply of sources in our lives? A paycheck every two weeks that we work for. Miracles, so do I. I've lived in the time. I mean, I've I've had a mirac- we had a miracle. A check arrived at the mailbox one day out of nowhere. We paid a bill we shouldn't have had to pay because the IRS forced us to. They sent back years later, more than we paid. I saved that check and didn't cash it for a long time because I was like, they're gonna want it back again. I called them. I said, you sent too much. They said, we don't know nothing about it. I cashed that sucker. But the best provision is when you cash that check from your employer. And you go, God, thank you for this seed in my life, this provision, because you're my source. Now, the problem is a lot of times we think, well, I worked for that. I earned it. I hustled. I thought about it. I interviewed. I got the job. I put in the time. And you did. And you worked hard. And I believe in working hard. The problem is we forget God gave us the intelligence, God gave us the health, God gave us the work ethic. God sourced into you everything you need and he positioned you in that place and ordained that you would work in that job with that employer or he gave you that company to lead other people. And he is the source of all that you have. So if he is the source of all I have... Why am I despising the seed that he's trying to use as provision in my life? And we have people trying to change jobs and going to work angry and quitting and just bouncing all over the place with no tenure and no consistency because they can't see that God is sourcing them into this thing. Peter said, I've cast my net all night and I am caught anything. But because you say so, I will. Let me give you... This is real practical. Ten rules to live by in your job. If somebody sent you this message, this is probably what they wanted you to see. (laughs) Ten rules to live by in your job. Number one, show up early. I think if you do these ten things, if you live these out, if you walk these out, you will see the miracle of provision hit your life. Because you have to constantly, consistently, actively walk these out. Show up. Start time is not show up time. Um, We start at 8 a.m. So show up early. Get your coffee. Have your conversations. And start working at 8. Be self-motivated. Don't be somebody that needs a pep talk every week. We're so glad you're here, part of this company. We're so glad you're in this morning. It's going to be a great week. You can do it. Be self-motivated. Be a leader. Lead yourself and lead others. You do that by thanking God for the job you have every time you go. And realize God is working through this to provide in my life and feed my family and take care of us and establish us. Number three, check your attitude. The person they hired is the person they want to show up every day. Because a lot of times we interview all happy and joyful. Look at me. And then they don't know who's gonna show up to work. The sad version, the drama version, the tired version. You dictate your attitude. Go the extra mile. Number four, don't cut corners. Value excellence. When other people back down, lean in. Number five, say yes to side projects. It's crazy to me who gets promoted. People that say yes to side projects and extra work oftentimes find bonuses and promotions. Pastor, I I got boundaries. I know you got boundaries. Boundaries are healthy. We talk about boundaries. But some of y'all have so many boundaries you boundary yourself in and you're boundering every prosperity thing you're trying to bring into your life away because you got too many boundaries. Number six, bring peace, not drama. Nobody promotes drama. Nobody wants a drama queen and drama king. Be a peacemaker. Leaders promote leaders. Be a leader. Seven. This is fun. Stay off your phone. It's real biblical. It's in Leviticus and Timothy. Both of them say the same thing. Stay off your phone when you're at work. Scroll TikTok on your time. Shop Amazon on your time. Ask for feedback. We all have blind spots. Ask somebody, what is it about my job? I could could be doing better. I don't see it. That's a vulnerable question. You know, I send my messages out to a couple people and say, hey, watch these things for me. Tell me what I could do better. I want to give the best version of the message I'm preaching possible. So I ask for feedback. Could I say this better? I do better. Number nine, publicly celebrate somebody else. Don't gossip people. Don't trash people. Celebrate them. Celebrate your employer. Employees? Celebrate your employees. Yeah, but if I tell them they're doing good too much, they're going to stop doing good. No. What you water grows. So if you're talking down to them, it's no wonder people get pushed down. If you speak life to them and talk up to them, they'll continue to develop and blossom. Celebrate other people. Number 10, pray regularly for your company and for your co-workers. What does that mean? It means bring the supernatural into the natural. It's where you now are in the place of I'm going to be light. Being light is priority in my life. So at work, people are going to see Jesus in me. I'm going to pray for people and let them know I'm praying for them. I'm going to be available to people. I'm going to let people know where I go to church and they're welcome to join me anytime they want. They're going to know I value my wife and my family. I'm not going to talk down about my spouse at work. I am going to pray and bring the supernatural into the natural. This area of our lives that we have lack so often is a place that it is because we don't invite practically and spiritually God to lead us into it. And we get so caught up looking for somebody else to do something for us that only God can do. I believe in miracles, provision, like the fish. I also believe in miracles of provision when you throw that rod in, you reel them in one at a time, throw the net in day after day, night after night. And you just keep working that play God has given you, and He keeps providing for you. Would you stand with me this morning? Once again, I'm not going to get to point number three. But I'll close with this story. Genesis 22, a man named Abram was told by God, Go up on this mountain. When you go up there, sacrifice your son, your one and only son to me. God wasn't into child sacrifice, it was a test. Abram one and only son was a miracle he was a hundred years old and God gave him a son it was impossible for him to do it, God did the impossible and now God is asking for him to take that son and give him back Abram gets to the bottom of the mountain, it's a three day journey up and he looks at his servants and he said, stay here the boy and I will return somehow Abraham had faith that he and the boy both were coming back even though he knew what God told him to do As he's going up this mountain, Isaac, the son, looks at his father, and he says, Father, I see the wood, I see the fire, but where is the sacrifice, not knowing that he was it? And Abraham uses this term, he uses these words, and he said, The Lord will provide. If you go back in the old Hebrew, translate it, it's where we get the name for God. Jehovah, God, Jireh, my provider. Even all the way back then, Abraham saw in his life, God provided with a miracle with my son. Every day I've invested in this boy, given this boy, I've raised this boy, I've developed this boy, I've given my life to raise him because God gave him to me. Now God's asking for him back. But God will provide. Your life, do you know Jehovah Jireh, the God that meets all of your needs? I think somebody here right now is battling something in their health, and it—I just feel like you just about gave up hope. You're just in a place where you're saying, "Man, we're just talking about miracles, and I'm trying to have faith and believe, but I just—it's hard. I know it's hard. I haven't been there. I haven't been in the shoes you're in." think I can relate some but I just encourage you don't give up don't back down don't quit believing because when you do you begin to source out your strength other places and it will only disappoint you and let you down God is your source your provider and your strength you know one of the best ways to figure out do I believe that do I know that Am I practicing that? It, am I looking to God and God alone to source out my life? Is Do I see him as my provider or am I looking somewhere else? It's going to get personal. It's okay. Are you tithing regularly? Tithing is completely illogical and doesn't make sense. Let's put that out there. I got 100%. I work for Now I'm taking 10%, giving it back to God, and the other 90% I'm supposed to live off of instead of the 100%. Doesn't make sense. But because you said so, Lord, I'll cast out my net. I'll let them out again. I'll throw them out again. I'll do what you said. Why? Because God is my source. Otherwise, I'm afraid you just may be looking at yourself as your source, and for God, He put it in your life to start with. God takes care of His stuff. And he wants to see, can you handle what he has given you to handle? Some people are asking God for more, but you're not handling well what he's already given you. All areas of life. If you get anything out of this message, your takeaway is simply this. Who is my source for life? The band wasn't scheduled to sing this song. I asked them to sing it. Friday afternoon and I said, I know what I'm preaching. Would you sing this song? It's become my favorite song. Currently my favorite song. Plays all the time. Because I know one of the keys to stepping into this is simply realizing that before I have what I'm believing for, I say thank you. I give gratitude. That's faith. Thanking God for what I don't have, but believing I'm going to. Abraham, the Lord will provide Jehovah Jireh. The sacrifice will be provided. What you're looking for, God will provide. I just encourage you, begin to use songs, language, thoughts. Motivate yourself. God will provide. Can we take a second and practice that? Maybe you want to close your hands. Maybe close your eyes. I'd encourage you to lift your hands up. Oh, Pastor, that's not comfortable. It doesn't matter. It's okay. You've got to get motivated. Sometimes you're, if you're desperate enough for a miracle, You'll reach out and do desperate things and you've gone different places and tried different things and you've tested it i'm telling you stop going to the same places in the same well and getting satisfaction that doesn't last you got to look to jesus the author and the finisher of my faith who for the joy set before him despised the cross and endured it so that we could live So we can live this life. prospering in all that we do. God, we give you thanks. In the midst of trial and sickness and death and life. We you, we will worship. We will praise. We will give thanks. We will give gratitude. You are So okay. put it over your heart. Put your hand over your heart. Whatever it is that the Holy Spirit has been talking to you about, wherever this lands with you, be real about it. I'm just going to ask you, allow God to speak to your heart. Give him access to your heart, to your life. God, I pray you do miracles for that person that's struggling with their health. God, give them strength to endure, to hold on, to not grow weary in well doing. God, I pray you do a miracle so real in their life. Set their body back in order the way it was created to be, in perfect alignment of health. In Jesus' name. God, for each one of us in this place, that we would surrender. Ourselves over to you and recognize our source i'm going to ask you all to pray a prayer in just a moment for somebody that may be a prayer that for the first time you say i want to know where to start you start the place of exchanging all of your sin for jesus as your savior it's a starting point of salvation you lay everything down he becomes the lord the leader of your life if that's you this morning i'm going to ask you to put faith in him Across this room that was watching online, we're going to pray this prayer together. Say it out loud. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Be my source of everything. Forgive me of my sins. Make my life new. I trust you for everything. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, everybody, celebrate one time. Put your hands together. I believe God is doing. Amen. Amen.